you for listening to Eclipsed Epics. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 11, Satorius Schlacht. We left off beginning the year 75 BC with Metellus in the southeast, Pompey in the northeast, and Satorius surrounded by them. Satorius' strategy for this year was to defeat both men on the peninsula in hope that Rome would finally acquiesce. Metellus and Pompey had two goals. First, they wanted to drive Satorian forces from Roman lands in Spain, so basically the East Coast, to establish an unbroken line of communication from Emprion to Cartho uh, Novo. Nova, sorry. Um, second, they needed to accomplish some type of victory in order to convince the Senate to prolong this Vietnam like quagmire and send much needed supplies. Notice yet another Vietnam reference. Remember, Pompey lost 10,000 men alone at Loran, and the Roman forces were most likely losing men daily from ambushes and malnutrition, most likely um, originating from those ambushes. Um, also, the Cilicians were harassing their uh, sea supply routes. So, before we begin Satoris' descent, I must put up a declaimer here. This period is not well documented. So the chronology wow, that's the chronology is a little bit murky here. I'm going to stick with the chronology I got from Matizak while still drawing information from Plutarch, Spawn, and Duncan as I go. But the dates can be a little pliable. With that out of our way. Satorius entered 75 with the better part of five Roman legions to work with and seven Iberian legions. To keep an eye on Pompey, Marcus Perperna was in charge of those Roman legions because they are, in the way he viewed things, his, while Hictulius shadowed Metellus with the Iberians. Satorius' orders for Hictulius in 75 were the same ones in 76. Do not attack Metellus directly and he would have disobeyed these orders possibly twice. And this, ladies, gents, and non-binary folk, was where the lug nuts on the wheels of the bus started to come loose. Near Cartho Nova, Hictulius fought an ill-conceived set-piece battle against Metellus. Matizak puts Hictulius on the level of Metellus as a general. He also says the breaking of the tie boils down to the quality of the soldiery. And unfortunately for Hotulius, Metellus had the better soldiers to fight a pitched battle because he had Romans, and well-rested ones at that. Hotulius, at dawn, on what would be a hot August day, he brought his army out to show battle in front of Metellus's camp in Italica. Metellus, smartly, let them stand out there for the whole hot day, sweating and probably getting heat stroke. And I don't know if you've ever gotten heat stroke. I've gotten it once um, when I was like, I think either a junior or senior in high school. I was destroyed for a good day. Um, and once these uh, these men under Hoctulius were nice and fatigued, Metellus gave Satorius' sub-commander exactly what he thought he wanted. Metellus completely encircled Hoctulius and destroyed two of these legions. 
And just like that, Sertorius lost his manpower equity with Metellus and Pompey. And just thinking about the sentence, it might not be equity because I, I was doing the math in, in a lot of senses. And if, um, what is it? If Pompey lost two legions, they're probably at, they're probably equal now. If, if Pompey lost two legions at Loran, they're probably equal at this point. Um, and maybe Metellus and Pompey are still at some of a disadvantage because Sertorius, uh, Hictulius, and Perperna are kind of picking uh, the Romans off daily. But anyway, Hictulius got away and sought some refuge among the Lusitanians. Philip Ospan explains this really dumb decision by Hercules by saying that he wants some glory for himself because Hercules might have thought that Sertorius would go on to wrap up things in nearer Spain quickly. And thinking as a Roman, it made sense in the context of a glory-crazed culture that Sertorius and Hercules uh, wanted to be part of again. So basically the idea that he wanted some some um, part of the glory of of reconquering Spain or beating um, Pompey and Metellus so he could go back. When he did go back to Rome, he wouldn't have to basically shadow in the, the eminence of, you know, the great man who destroyed Metellus and Pompey, uh, Sertorius. After, after Italica, Sertorius and Marcus Paperna went to Lusitania to help Hercules rebuild his now pretty much destroyed army. Um, I can't imagine this journey being anything less than annoying for Sertorius. First, Hercules explicitly broke orders and lost 30% of his uh, further Spain force. And second, Paperna most likely spent the whole trip arguing why he should be the one to take command of this new force. After all, he... Good Perperna was a second-ranked officer next to Sertorius, and he was an aristocrat, a son and a grandson of a consul, for Pete's sake. He was owed this. Perperna also probably argued that he brought money and all of these actual Roman troops he allowed to help Sertorius in Spain. But Sertorius ignored Perperna's pr protestations, and stuck with the insubordinate and unknown Hoctulius, but with strict orders again, to avoid offenses against Metellus. Sertorius did this despite the dereliction of duty for no other reason than Hoctulius most likely was better than Paperna. As I've mentioned before, Matizak puts Hoctulius on par with Metellus, and if Paperna was actually a good commander, I have a sneaking suspicion that his troops wanted to threaten mutiny rather than fight Pompey under him. And so this was yet another affront to Paperna's dignitas, pushing him further and further to conspiracy against the Sabine in charge. These sub-commanders, Hercules and Paperna, bring us to what Matizak calls the Napoleon Dilemma. Sartorius had no sub-commanders his equal, and could not be everywhere at once. Rome may not have had many commanders playing in the Sertorian League, as it were, but Rome sure had a bunch of Papernos and Herculiuses walking about. And they also had the resources to make these lesser generals look like wor world beaters. And I and 
if you're noticing a contradiction here where I say like Rome is not giving out sources and or resources and stuff like that and but they have enough resources to make lesser generals look good like they are never what's the word I'm looking for they're never totally equipped and we're going to see supply problems for Pompey so much so that he writes a letter to the a strongly worded letter to the Senate in a couple of years but the system of Rome and that that uh, generals trained under made them look a lot better than they were. And for what little they got, quote unquote, they made people who had to deal with less, who were their equals, look worse. Like the the thing there is soldier soldiery and not like the generals in a lot of senses. As I mentioned before, Pompey and Metellus wanted to rid the east coast of Iberia of Satorian forces by collapsing on them from both sides, um, both opposite sides, so from the north and the south, because we're remember, we're basically only dealing with the east coast. The defeat of Hertulius made that prospect a reality. Thinking fast, Satorius sent Perperna and another subcommand to defend the river Truria near Valentia from Pompey's advance. To, and he was advancing to seize the initiative to finally end this, you know, hell for him, actually. But unfortunately, this resulted, this actually resulted in the death of that subcommander I was talking about that went with Perperna and two legions. Now Satorius was down to eight, and now Satorius was at a disadvantage. But again, thinking fast and acting faster, Satorius prevented a collapse by pairing his forces with Propernos facing off against Pompey. Matizak and Spion disagree on where all-powerful Properna was for this battle of Sucro. Span says he fought here at Sucro, and Matizak says Satorius ordered him to hold off Metellus. But one would think that Hoctulius' restored force would be holding off Metellus. Given this, I do put Perperna fighting at Sucro because he was very pr- 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 he was very proprietary over his cohorts and he would want to fight here um, and those cohorts would fight here so he in fact would fight here and I could not see Satorius regardless of his confidence or lack thereof in Perperna sending Perperna and his cohorts away from this he might have been he might have disliked Perperna in a lot of senses, but he was not. He didn't dislike Perperna so much that he was petty. Um, so at this Battle of Sucro, Pompey and Sertorius were on their respective white, right wings. So they're facing off opposite each other. So this resulted in Pompey facing off against Perperna. That should go well. And Sertorius facing off against Pompey's legate, Africanus. No or extremely distant relation to the more famous Africanus, the one that, you know, whose first name was Scipio. Um, when the battle commenced, at night I might add, Pompey's uh, forces pushed Perperna's right wing so hard that it began to rout. Seeing this, Sertorius rushed to his defense, rallied his troops, and nearly routed Pompey himself. Matizak reminds us during this his bat- uh, description of this battle that no matter how good the commander or the troops were, intra-battle was still a near-run thing. A phrase um, 
immortalized by the Duke of Wellington talking about the Battle of Waterloo. We are conditioned in, uh, today in many ways, especially in the United States, that the best commanders plus the best troops plus the best equipment equal battlefield success 100% of the time. Ancient warfare was different. Where those factors contributed to tilt the odds in your favor only so much. And this kind of re- this ancient battle kind of reminds me of baseball, where you can spend all the money on the best players uh, and you can demolish the regular season and then face a small market team with three hot pitchers and get bounced. Anyway, trying to hold out on retreating until the last possible second, Pompey was nearly captured captured by the Mauritanians. Remember them? Pompey was only saved by his gold-adorned horse he was riding, which this uh, troops seized upon. They were so transfixed on the gold, the Mauritanians let Pompey flee the scene. This was Satorius' second and last chance to end Pompey, and it fell through the cracks. But unfortunately, Satorius didn't have time to contemplate the missed opportunity and its relevance to the larger campaign. No, now his right wing was beginning to show signs of rout. That that wing is, guess who is commander here? Perperna. That ba- that battle between Perperna and Africanus was a battle of Roman in- infantry against other Roman infantry. The Romans under Perperna pushed were pushed all the way to Sertorius' camp, and Africanus' troops began to loot. Remember, they were living on what little they got from the Senate and what little they can find in Iberia. And as we have seen multiple times, Sertorius made finding food and supplies very costly. But now Sertorius had yet another problem. Metellus was not held back. So making haste to collapse on Sertorius so we can actually finally finish this misery that this Iberian campaign has been for him and Pompey at the same time. Sertorius now, unfortunately, could not sanely try and finish Pompey off for good. So he retreated back to the central highlands and regrouped like the North Vietnamese did after the tent offensive. Yet another Vietnam reference. Philip Osman calls the Battle of Sucro a draw. But it was much like a draw that the Germans had in 1918 during a battle called the Kaiserschlacht. It was a set of offensives fueled by troops returning from the east. And those troops were coming from the east because the uh, imperialist Russian, or the imperial Russians or the Tsarist regime collapsed into the Bolshevik. Well, collapsed into kind of the provincial government and then collapsed into the Bolsheviks and the Soviet Union, and they withdrew themselves from the war. In that battle, like the one, this one at Sucro, the Germans lost their rocket fuel from the east and could no longer feasibly win the war or even fight it. That's why after that, Ludendorff, uh, who was the leader at the time uh, in Germany, basically asked the Kaiser, you need to sue for peace quickly. And he, you know, the Kaiser then went to Woodrow Wilson. I'm like, can we have the 14 deals again? Can the thing that you gave, that you were saying was a good thing? And they didn't exactly get that when they sued for peace. Um, If you want to listen to a good series on that, I would tell you that um, Zach Twombly of When Diplomacy Fails did a whole series on the Treaty of Versailles 
Um, it was it's really intricate and it's really well done in my opinion. Um, but here at Sucro, Satori has lost his rocket fuel received from Paperna. Of the more than five legions, only one was left. After Sucro, Pompey met with Metellus, ashamed by his poor performance against Satorius. Pompey showed an uncharacteristic level of humility by lowering his insignia when Metellus entered the camp. But ever the politician, Metellus treated Pompey as an equal. Partially, Metellus did this to boost Pompey's confidence a bit after the beating he had taken for the last two years. Because, you know, in a lot of senses, for the last two years, um, Pompey is getting facing Sertorius one-on-one. I mean, Metellus is kind of doing, you know, what's the word, like, side stuff. He's not really doing anything, you know, he's not facing Sertorius head-on in any senses. And this was also, the treating uh, Pompey as an equal was partially also done because Metellus know how to play Pompey. Because Pompey could be easy played, easily played. Just ask Sulla and later the Senate. Also, Metellus knew he had to play Pompey to keep his army in the field. If Metellus had rubbed Pompey's nose in his own misery, who knows what Pompey would do? Remember, Pompey had no real allegiance to the Senate, and much of Sertorius's energy over Pompey's tenure in Spain was spent trying to convince Pompey to switch sides. It was the only logical reason Sertorius did not crush Pompey at Loran, a decision that uh, Sertorius probably right now is regretting a lot. But regardless, the first thing Sertorius had to deal with after getting to the Central Highlands was deal with the morale of his men, which I can say wasn't great. Um, Even though Sucro was a draw, the the soldiers definitely felt that it was a loss. Um, Combine that with Italica, which was actually a loss, and the morale of his men couldn't have been good. To boost it, Sertorius brought out the tried and true gift from the goddess Diana, the White Dell. Sertorius either lied that it was lost, or it was actually so. Either way, he later used that fact to explain away the losses at Italica or Sucro. No, it wasn't a total act of insubordination to pursue something tactically asinine. We lost the dough. I did not let an enemy commander slip through my fingers. We don't have the dough. Either way, the dough was eventually found and concealed until the perfect moment. It came time for the dough to foretell of a great victory. And on cue, like a well-trained puppy, the dough bounded to Sartorius, and Sartorius channeled his best Daniel Day-Lewis and acted surprised. The act of the returning dough was supposed to impress the superstitious population that good luck would return. So to get this to work, Sartorius needed some luck ASAP. And by luck, I mean success on the battlefield. Sartorius started by going back to the basics. And when I talk about the basics, I'm, of course, talking about guerrilla warfare. He redoubled his efforts on the supply lines of Metellus and Pompey, after years on uh, on campaign, the Romans already had a tough time keeping themselves provisioned. 
which was even tougher when Sartorius attacked their means of supply, their meager means of supply. This would lead them, mainly Metellus, to play right into Sartorius's hands by foraging. Then Sartorius compounded things by making it nearly impossible to forage, forcing Metellus to resort to sacking towns. And next time, the wheels on the bus will really begin to fall off. The Battle of Sugunta will mark the beginning of the end of Satoris's career.